0: Welcome back everybody to the next episode of the introduction to st3 podcast today i'm joined by jen Aston, who is one of the st5 trainees in region and we're going to talk to you about wellness
1: hi everyone so in this podcast we don't aim to have all the answers on feeling good all the time in a difficult specialty but we do aim to give you more tools to put into your toolkits for when you're having a bad day or just in general to have in the background
0: to keep you feeling good It's something that we decided should go in the introduction to ST3 course, because problems with burnout are actually quite high. And I think when we struggle, we often feel as though we're the only person who has ever struggled and is struggling. And actually, when you look at the data, and there's quite a lot of it out there, the GMC tell you that almost one in four trainees and just over one in five trainers say that they feel burnt out because of their work to a very high degree and actually almost a third of trainees say that they're always exhausted in the morning at the thought of another day's work. Now this isn't something that is unique to emergency medicine, although we do find that the rates of burnout are higher in the acute specialties than they are in other specialties. And when you look at the EMTA survey, they found that about 75% of emergency trainees are at high risk of burnout, in particular during their ST3 year. Now this isn't really surprising. ST3 has always been the year that is associated with our highest rate of attrition from the specialty. And it's because it's quite a stressful year. It's a step up into a role with more responsibility. There are an awful lot of assessments that take place. A lot of you won't have done any paediatric medicine since you were at medical school. People find it just a little bit scary and a bit more stressful than usual. So we're hoping really that the course in general will make you feel prepared, but that this podcast might equip you with some tricks and some tools that will help you look after yourself a little bit during this year. So, Jen, what would you suggest?
1: So I'm going to suggest lots of things in this podcast, and so is Kirsten but the things that work for us might not work for you. We can't talk about well-being without talking about mindfulness, and I can hear some of you groaning from here. Mindfulness is something that people associate with meditation and going into a trance, but actually it's the opposite. At work, and for a lot of us in our personal lives, we're constantly solving problems and working out how to do things, and that's great. The problem-solving abilities of the mind are fantastic. But you're always in the doing mode and you're very rarely in the being mode when you appreciate what's around you and you let yourself feel how you're feeling because your mind is always trying to solve problems. These might be problems at work. They might be problems that you have with a friend or with your family, but your mind is always going over them in the background. In the being mode, and this is what we try to do in meditation, You focus on how your body feels, you focus on your breathing and you focus on right now. So actually you're not going into a trance, you're trying to feel more present. Personally I find this very difficult and very rarely do I sit in silence and try to meditate, it just doesn't work for me. One thing that does work for me is yoga poses because actually they do the same thing. So if I give you the example of downward facing dog, I focus on the position of my hands, I focus on the position of my feet, I focus on how much of a stretch I'm getting, whether or not I can get my heels a little bit closer to the floor, and I focused on getting my body into a 90 degree shape. Now that is actually a form of mindfulness meditation because it's all about how I feel right now. And there's lots of evidence to say that this is really good training for your brain and that this will reduce your stress levels. But it doesn't need to be yoga or mindfulness. There's lots of techniques that you can use to calm yourself.
0: Yes, mindfulness is something that I've always struggled with personally. I feel like my mind is often quite busy and calming it down can be quite a challenge there are lots of calming techniques that people use and that people promote and talk about combat breathing is a really really popular one but it doesn't suit everybody it doesn't suit me in the slightest when I try to do combat breathing or square breathing it makes me tachycardic which is precisely the opposite of what it's meant to do so instead what I do is I do alternate nose breathing which oddly enough was a technique taught to me by my maths teacher when I was in senior school and it works really well so so you just need to find one that suits you and practice it so that when you need to use a calming technique it's not the first time you've ever tried it.
1: Kirsten actually tried to teach me her favourite breathing technique and I just can't do it. I d- it just doesn't work for me and that's fine because we're different. So if you're having trouble with breathing techniques on your own there are lots of resources available to help you with this. Two that I'd like to highlight to you that are available are Headspace, which at one point the BMA was giving out free for trainees. I'm not sure if that's still available. It's got recorded meditations and it's got recorded breathing exercises to help give you a basic grounding in mindfulness and also just to give you a soundtrack to meditate around. Another one that I'd like to mention to you is called Calm. Calm similarly do meditations around different themes, they have one called emergency calm for when you're feeling particularly stressed, they have anxiety series, they have sleep series and they have a whole section that's based on sleep stories to help you get to
0: sleep. We know that sleep hygiene is really important actually don't we in terms of personal well-being and reducing stress levels, what tips could you give people about sleep hygiene then Jo?
1: So one thing that really works for me is I know that I sleep better when I've had exercise that day but I know that's not for everyone. There's lots of literature out there and we'll give you some links that you can look at in more detail. But a lot of the advice centres around avoiding stimulants such as caffeine and nicotine, trying to make sure that you have a sleep routine that you do that relaxes you before you go to bed avoiding exposure to natural light and the blue lights on your phone and making sure that your sleep environment is a pleasant one to sleep in. So for some people that involves white noise and I know when I'm on nights I will sleep much better if I put a fan on because it'll make the room cooler and also it'll block out any external noises.
0: Yes, sometimes I've found even music can actually help me to get off to sleep. So if I'm doing an on-call and I'm at the hospital and so I'm sleeping in an unfamiliar environment, I will put on some very, very quiet background music for something that isn't particularly energetic music-wise, but is quite calming and I will play that and it will block out other noises that are in the room. And so then it enables me to sleep a little bit better. So even if you're out and about, you don't necessarily have to carry a fan with you. There are simple ways of producing distractions that can settle your mind and help you to sleep a little bit easier. So one of the things that I find sometimes gives me difficulty sleeping is when I'm ruminating about something and I can't quite get it off my mind. This is just symptomatic of what I would call my stress bucket being full to the brim. And and essentially one way to think about how you're feeling is to think about stress buckets and bottles. What we're looking at is Your stress bucket will fill up as you encounter stressful events during the day or if you've had something that is on your mind and that you're thinking about and that stress bucket fills up over time and to start with you don't notice it. When it gets full up to the rim and it's just about to overflow, that's when you feel the symptomatic effects of stress. Sometimes you just need a quick fix for how you can empty your stress bucket. And these are things that you might be able to do at work. So it might be stepping into the red room and just having five minutes just to settle yourself a little bit before you go out onto the shop floor. Sometimes you'll feel absolutely fine at work and it's only when you get changed and leave the building that you realize that you need to do something about how stressed you feel or that case that is just going through your mind whilst you're trying to get home. And there are lots of things that you can do to try to help with that, so car karaoke is a personal favourite, if I've had a really bad day at work I will put some loud music on in the car, which music it is, generally depends on exactly what my mood is like. And then I will sing very loudly on the way home, it also keeps me awake getting back. And then you need to think about longer term methods, so making sure that you've got annual leave booked off in advance that you can look forward to and then thinking about non-work related activities and how you can use those to balance your levels of stress. But then going back to those bottles, the bottles are I hate resilience as a word, but essentially that's really what we mean by resilience. You're filling these bottles of resilience back up, and they are the things that give you a buffer before your stress bucket gets full and overflowed. And you need to think of a way in which to fill your bottles up. And they're things that you do in your life that make you feel happy that give you a bit of a buzz and rejuvenate you a little bit. So
1: what do you do if you're at work and you've seen a really upsetting case in the middle of a shift?
0: There are two aspects to this really so one of them is thinking about yourself and how you are so do you need to go and just have a couple of minutes of quiet just to get your thoughts back together but then especially as you get into ST3 and then further on, you've got to make sure that you look after your team at the same time. And that really leads on to thinking about debriefing and hot debriefing at work. If you feel that something has affected you greatly, the chances are that it will have affected somebody in your team quite a lot too. If you're thinking about not just a single event that's happened at work, but feeling about that general level of stress, you might have a run of shifts where you come in And although you thought you felt okay, you realise when you get into the building that you're actually quite anxious about the day ahead or you're feeling quite stressful because of previous events or just an accumulation of events that have come up. Then you might also want to debrief, but in a less formal way and do this with friends or with colleagues. One of the things that I found really helped me both during training and now as a consultant, is to have a mentor that you can turn to and have those debriefs with. And actually, mine has been completely invaluable over the last few years. If you find that that isn't enough for you but you're still struggling with feelings of anxiety and feelings of stress there are more formal paths that you can take as well so most hospitals occupational health departments run counselling services for staff you can actually self-refer to these and if you self-refer to them then you don't get any output or report that goes back to your supervisors or to the training program directors or if that service isn't present for you at your particular hospital or you want something that is more formal so that it feeds back so that your trainers know if there's been an impact on your training then you can be referred to occupational health at the deanery they offer a similar service and they do give a report that goes back to the training program director and the head of school
1: trainees can find that quite scary when they need help to ask for it
0: kirsten what message would you want to give them i think it's really important to acknowledge how you're feeling. Acknowledging how you're feeling isn't a sign of weakness, it's actually a sign of strength. It's really difficult to actually be able to stand up and say, I am not okay at the moment, but it is really important. And actually, if you're not okay, it's really important that you seek help at that time because it's not something that will go away or get better on its own. It's something that you actually need to work on or need help with. So although it can be difficult, it's really important to accept when you're not feeling okay and talk to other people about it and make sure that you get the support and the help that you need.
1: I completely agree if a colleague came to me and said to me I'm really struggling I would think more of them not less of them because it's a brave and important thing to do.
0: Yes and we do we need to support our colleagues when they come to us with this. As an ST3, you might have a junior that comes to you who is also struggling a little bit. So it's important to know about these things, not just for your own well-being, but so that you can help other people as well. One other thing that I think we should talk about, Jen, is balance. So people talk about work-life balance a lot, don't they? And it's a difficult concept, really, to get our heads around because it's really easy for work to just kind of creep into non-work time and how do we know when that balance is right and how do we know when it's not right for us?
1: That's a really difficult question and I think it's different for everyone it's okay if you're somebody who enjoys your work and likes to do things to improve your work environment in your own time kirsten and i have both spent lots of our own time on simulation workshops and actually they make us happy
0: geeky though that sounds
1: yeah we don't claim to be cool (laughs) for me balance is finding some time for myself in every day even if i'm doing a long shift so for that i need to have eaten properly I need to have slept properly. I need to have done some exercise in a day. I might not have spent time with my friends in that day. I might not have done anything very sociable on a work day. But for me, being able to eat, sleep and exercise on a work day is good balance. And on my days off, I make sure that I get quality time with people as well.
0: Yes, and it's important that you ring fence some of your days off. So, throughout my training, as Jen's already mentioned, I did an awful lot of simulation and education in my own time. And I spent a good proportion of my annual leave as well as my zero days up in the simulation centre. And that was great because it was something that I enjoyed. But it's really important to make sure that you don't use all of your days off doing things that are work-related, even if you enjoy them. You need to ring fence some days that are completely work-free. I feel that this has become more difficult in recent times, especially because of all the online activity that is happening now because of COVID. I know that as a consultant I am now expected to attend every MS Team meeting that happens in my department and they are ongoing every single day and it's almost frowned upon or it feels like it's frowned upon to say no I'm I'm off that day so I won't be logging in to the MS Team's meeting. Fortunately for me I live in the countryside which makes it a little bit easier so my internet connection is terrible at the best of times which means I can't always actually join the MST meetings when I'm at home but the feelings of guilt that go with not attending virtual meetings can be quite damaging really. It's really important to make sure that you don't give in and feel like you have to attend everything but you make sure you ring fence some downtime for yourself.
1: I think you need boundaries between your work and your personal life. You need to put a line in the sand that you don't cross and Work during the pandemic has become even more important to a lot of us because we haven't been able to go out and do anything else. We think it's our social responsibility to continue to improve our department's management during the pandemic. So it's, it's even more difficult to switch off. From what I've seen, there's an increased level of background stress for everyone. And everyone feels like they need to apologise for it because the pandemic hasn't happened to me or to you, it's happened to everyone. But it has had individual effects on everyone. One thing that I know a lot of my colleagues have found really helpful is to have a going home checklist. There are lots of different versions out there. These take two main forms. One is a psychological checklist that helps you switch off from the day And the other ones are to do with putting away the physical things that you take with you to work so that you're not worried about bringing the virus home with you. Another thing that the pandemic has made difficult for people is stopping them doing some activities that made them feel balanced and that gave them some enjoyment. Things like going to the gym, going to climbing centres and going to swimming pools. This is really difficult and for a lot of people there's nothing that's quite as good even if it's not the activity that you enjoy, regular exercise is good for your mind and for your body. We're sad for everyone who can't go and do the things that they enjoy at the moment.
0: Yes, but we need to remember that there are opportunities at times like this as well. So you might not be able to do the things that you've previously done and really enjoy doing, but it might be a time for trying something new or doing something a little bit different. So we talked right at the beginning of the podcast about mindfulness and how mindfulness can be an adjunct to activities that you are doing. So this could be something like taking up a yoga class on Zoom whilst you're at home and doing it in your living room. Or it could even be going out for a walk and just thinking about your environment at the same time. It's easy to incorporate mindfulness into individual activities and actually the pandemic might have provided you an opportunity to try to incorporate that into your life whereas you wouldn't previously have done it
1: one thing that a lot of people have spent more time on during the pandemic is cooking which i think is fantastic because eating healthily is so important
0: and so difficult when you're a shift worker Eating healthily, noted there, Jen. So we've turned this the COVID cake diet at home due to the amount of baking that has gone on.
1: (laughs) If you do find yourself with some extra time on your hands caused by the pandemic, maybe you could spend it meal planning so that you eat proper meals during your shift, which I know a lot of people really struggle with.
0: I'm sure some people are. I think a lot of people are doing more home cooking than ready meals, so that's healthy still. (laughs) So I think we've talked about most things that we wanted to talk about today. Just as a thought to end on, I think it's really beneficial to try to find something good out of every day. No matter how difficult your day has been or how stressful your day has been, there is always... Something good that will have happened, sometimes you just have to look a little bit harder than on other days. that's a great
1: idea, especially for the start and the end of a shift. I think it can really help you
0: with your well being There are books that you can get one line a day books where you can write something down if you are a more a tactile person, or I put out tweets every day from my my work life. I don't do it from my home life because I might not want to share that with everybody else but I put out a one tweet a day message and it really helps to reframe your mind to thinking about something positive. Great. Okay, well, thank you very much for joining me today, Jen. You're welcome. It was great fun. Bye, everyone. Take care. Bye.